0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to today's show. Make sure you check out Blazing New Homeschool Trails, Educating and Launching Teens with Developmental Disabilities by Natalie Vecchione and Cindy LaJoy, available on Amazon.com. And now our show. Today, I'll be speaking with Marce Franklin. Marce Franklin is a licensed pediatric occupational therapist in Los Angeles, California. She completed her undergraduate degree in psychology and social behavior at the University of California, Irvine, and a master's of science degree in occupational therapy at Howard University. After two years of experience as a clinician, Marche decided to further her education with the Post-Professional Doctorate of Occupational Therapy, or ODT, OTD. And she is currently enrolled at the University of Southern California. Marche is an advocate for underserved and marginalized populations. Her current research involvement includes addressing the occupational barriers of those exposed to prenatal alcohol exposure in utero, specifically fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Through her continuous efforts to disseminate research as an OTD resident at the University of Southern California, Marche hopes to dismantle health disparities by bridging the existing gaps between research, lived experiences, and policy on a national and global level. Hey, everybody, welcome to today's episode, and I am so excited for you to meet today's guest. I actually, this is the first time I've spoken with her kind of one-on-one. Her name is Marshae Franklin, and she's an occupational therapist, an occupational therapy doctoral student who just finished her doctorate. Congratulations, Marshae, and uh, she is also pursuing her PhD, and she has a passion for working and researching and learning about occupational therapy with FASD. And that to me, I just like, when, when I heard about her, actually we met on an FASD legislative phone call. I, I saw her and I reached out and messaged her while we were on this call. And, and anybody who's listening who are, are also on these calls, yes, I do network during those meetings. I apologize. <laughs> But I saw Marche and and I saw her credentials, and I was like, "Ooh, I need to talk to her because she would really give some wonderful information to our audience." So after that really really long introduction, Marche Franklin, welcome to FASD Hope.
1: Thank you so much, Natalie. I'm so happy to be here. Like (laughs) you just don't know. I'm I'm really, really excited to be here. Um, I was gonna say, let me, let me clarify though, before my professors hear this, I am still technically a resident. Um, Yes. I graduate in August. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. So they don't say, hey. But I, but I am a licensed clinician. And so, yes. <laughs>
0: yes, I apologize. No worries. I, I apologize for that. So, let's talk about your vast experience and, and all of the research and all of the knowledge you've gained. And let's just talk about your professional journey and then we'll get into how it ties in with FASD.
1: Absolutely. Um, you know what? I have to first start by giving credit where credit is due because I learned about occupational therapy from my mom. Um, I was coming out of high school and my mom was telling me, you would be great for this field. This is you. And to be honest, like typical, you know, teenagers, I didn't listen. <laughs> I didn't listen at all. But I say that for for two reasons. Um, one is because it's so important, I think, for other young adults or people transitioning from high school you know around the age you really should listen to your parents your mentors your elders whoever whoever that may be um because they have a they have foresight that oftentimes you can't see and i couldn't see it at that time but she was absolutely absolutely right and the second reason is because i really think that your professional career starts at that undergraduate level whether or not you realize it or not like that's the stepping stone to getting where you want to get to, and so you know, I just I was I graduated from UCI, um, University of California Irvine, and I had a psychology degree. And afterwards, I was like, "What am I going to do?" Um, and I said, "Mom was right," <laughs> and um, I started taking the prereqs. And then I um, ultimately I was accepted into Howard University in Washington D.C., where um, I graduated from with my master's in occupational therapy. And, you know, shortly after I became a licensed clinician after passing my boards. And now I'm here as a, after working about two years in the, in the school district, as well as like the pediatric um, outpatient clinic where people think of mostly like the swings and like the, the sensory, but I'm here now as the post-professional doctorate of occupational therapy, uh, which a lot of people call OTD at the university of Southern California. And I'm like really excited to be on this journey because I told my mom, I said, you know, I'm going go to go to Howard, but I, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get my OTD. I, I had to leave California. I said, okay, I'm going to leave California, but I'm going to return. And, you know, unfortunately, my mom is not with me anymore, but I always use her as like my forefront because that's always in my mind. Like I did what I said I was going to do. So I'm, I'm super si- excited to be here and to to even share my journey. <laughs>
0: I love that, and thank you for sharing that, yeah. Marche. That like I, it really comes from the heart. And as a mama, yeah. I love hearing that you listen to your mama. And I'm yeah. sure there are other moms listening out there saying, "Yeah, we <laughs> said we said something, and and it resonated. Woohoo! Yes, it does
1: resonate. Uh, and that's what I'm saying. Please listen because nice. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Nice. So let's talk about
0: how you first learned about FASD because most people most professionals and and clinicians that I've spoken with usually have some sort of like personal connection with it but i know when I saw and met you briefly on the legislative phone call, it was really more of something like you just had this really strong interest in it, and when we spoke very briefly about that. So let's talk about what led you to studying FASD and OT. Sure.
1: You know, I um, I have to say that the seed was actually planted at Howard University. Um, oftentimes you don't hear about, um, FASD being a part of the curriculum very much. So, and I can't say that it was a huge part of our curriculum, but you're probably going to laugh at me when I say this, I was going through a binder (laughs) recently from Howard university, because I, sometimes I keep certain things that might be beneficial for me as, you know, as I move forward in my career. And I went through this binder and I said, oh my gosh, I did a project on FAS. Um they gave us so much work <laughs> in a masters program and I said I cannot believe this but the reason why I went back to that binder is because um when I got to USC like I said I was I was just super excited to be there and and my mentor Dr. Stephanie Bodison said what what do you what do you want to research because I'm currently on the research track And I think she could see, I didn't know what I wanted because in my head, I was thinking everything. And so she kindly gave me three options. And one of those options was prenatal alcohol exposure. And I said, she said, take your time, think about it over the weekend. And and I did that and and I started to research it. And I said, wait a second, this is what I learned at Howard University. I'm doing the research now and one in 20 children may be impacted by FASD and nobody's talking about this. Yes. So I said, I went back to her and said, Oh no, this is it. This is what I'm doing. I know for a fact that this is what I'm doing. And truthfully, they haven't been able to pull me off of it since. Um, <laughs> I'm sure my classmates, my colleagues, they're probably all like, yeah, we know what her presentation is going to be about. And, and they're absolutely right. It's going to be about FASD. That's really how I, I honestly, how it started in my professional practice. But yeah.
0: That's fantastic. That's fantastic because Again, that one in 20 research study we know by Dr. Philip May, it's a sentinel study. It really just busted open doors for people in professional communities in, you know, as parents, that 2018 study showed that the prevalence and that was an, that's a conservative estimate too. When we talk about that, when you really look at that study, the one in 20 is really a conservative. It can, it's actually, the percentage is like 3% to 10%. So it can even be higher. And I just recently got, it's funny because I'm we're, you know, we're just talking before we started recording just about things that led us to our professional journeys. You know, you, you are, an occupational therapist, studying occupational therapy. My background is actually, was in music therapy and rec therapy. And yeah. I got a postcard and it said, oh, there's an autism walk that's happening, a virtual autism walk run. And the latest on this postcard, I literally got it this week. It wow. said one in 51 was the statistic they gave. And I wow. was like, wow.
1: Wow. The yeah." prevalence
0: and I- of FASD is more than twice as much as autism.
1: Yes. And you know, what's interesting because it's funny that, that, that said that I know the CDC reports like one in 54, but regardless it's, it's, we're seeing a higher prevalence in FASD and it has to be addressed. And, and unfortunately I don't think it's been addressed in the manner that it should be um, with the supports and services that we see for other um, diagnoses. And it, it, it's absolutely no reason why that should be the case when it's, you know, I'm calling it now a public health crisis. Yes. Because let's call it what it is. It's um, it's it's an epidemic that's happening across uh the globe, and it it has to be addressed. Even thinking about it in terms of just all of the the research that's coming out, saying how many people have been their alcohol intake has increased over this pandemic, and just you thinking about it from both a prevention perspective as well as the treatment, something has to be done. So yes, yeah yes and also
0: just talking about not only the prevention aspect but the increase in drinking during the pandemic and also i believe the statistic is 50 or 51% of pregnancies in the us are unplanned so even if you know you are a, a husband and wife or, or you have a partner and right. you're planning on getting pregnant and you are drinking not realizing that oh hey i'm 6 weeks pregnant your unborn yes. born child has already been exposed
1: and and oftentimes as you mentioned some people who he who even are planning they don't even realize yes. that they're yes. that they're with child and so you know it's just it's a situation that i it, it definitely has to be addressed and and you know uh, people like yourself with the FASD pod, help podcast and and all the other allies um you know, I'm grateful to be in the midst with everyone.
0: Well, I am happy that you are (laughs) on our team, Marche, because you are enthusiastic, you're energetic, and you are so knowledgeable. So I cannot (laughs) wait to have (laughs) you share with our audience what we're going to talk about today. So let's jump into this conversation. We met on the FASD, uh, NOFAS policy and training monthly phone calls. Mm -hmm. As this airs, we are hoping that the FASD Respect Act, Senate 2238, HR 4151, is being introduced by the time this podcast is aired. Let's talk about policy. What do you think are the biggest policy barriers that you've studied and researched for people with FASD, for the FASD population?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I actually enrolled in a course uh, as an elective recently um, and it was Public Health Policy and Politics, I believe was the title of the course. And this actually required me to do what's considered a policy dig and kind of dig into it a little bit deeper because to be honest, I didn't know Anything about policy? Policy? I was like, ah, policy, politics. I actually thought they were the same thing, and I'm realizing today that they're completely different. Um, <laughs> but I was challenged in that class to do a policy dig, and I, again, I was given an option of certain ones, and I said, no, professor, I, I must do it on FASD, and and I'm so glad I did because what I came to find out was that there is a policy hole. Um, just not only in the United States um, and as policy, whole, I mean, meaning that the policy that is available um, and, and much of the language has expired uh, in regards to like the, the previous like national legislation um, and, and most of it was focused on FAS. So I'm so happy that NoFast is really pushing this bill forward. Um, And I'm by no means the spokesperson for NoFast. So I'm so glad you gave all the bill numbers um, because (laughs) I didn't have them memorized by heart. But I'm so glad that you did um, because I would encourage everyone to look into that if you haven't already, Um, because one of the things that um, I just kind of come to realize is that we oftentimes talk about the social determinants of health. And we really have to start looking at the political determinants of health because when we speak about the political determinants of health, that also leads the conversation to start talking about health equity. And so when we compare, and I don't like to compare to um, other diagnoses, but when we look at other diagnoses we see how they're supported um, with policies which allow for uh, diagnostic capacities, uh, research funding, um, services, all of these things. And so I think that this bill being pushed on a national level, um, the FASD Respect Act is by means uh, just a, a huge deal. Um, and so I'm speaking positive about it that I can't wait for it to pass um, because it, 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 it has to pass if we wanna truly talk about health equity. And, and that's been a big conversation um, lately And then I also think another big policy barrier, as a California native, I'm actually in Southern California and you know, one of the big things is the Lanterman Act and that was established about in the 1960s, I wanna say 1968 or 69, but please don't quote me on that. Um, (laughs) But this was an act that was um, implemented as law in California, which was supposed to provide people with developmental disabilities um, access to supports for and services, um, and unfortunately, FASD is not identified as a developmental disability in California, and so that again goes back to the political determinants of health, that health health equity, um, and you know, it, it's just a conversation that I think has to be tapped into a little bit more and I'm so lucky that I was able to enroll in that course because without it I would have just said okay I wouldn't have known anything about the research component of it and that's actually how I ended up in that that meeting uh, because I wanted to learn more I was like no something's here um, (laughs) and I've got to figure out what that something is and so unfortunately uh, California is pretty behind, um, but I know that there are in works of trying to move forward with California. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've been a part of groups that have been supporting a policy changes here as well.
0: I am learning so much from you, just, oh my goodness, just from uh-huh. that answer from that question. And the Lanternman Act, the yes. FASD Respect Act is actually addressing that because part of it, and we're shaking our heads, part yes. of it is identifying FASD as a diagnosable developmental disability and we it know that been. will open so many doors so
1: many doors and you know so so many doors I am just I'm really really excited and and You know, every time I present this information, either to my classmates or as a formal presentation, whatever I have to do for it, usually it's for class. Um, (laughs) But I try to make sure I include the policy aspect of it because it is a huge, a huge portion of access to services. That kind of
0: reinforces the cyclic nature of why so many Children, teens, young adults do not get diagnosed with an FASD until it's much down the line. Like for our family, personally, our son, it took us 13 years to actually get a written diagnosis because... It's undiagnosed, underdiagnosed, misdiagnosed, and it, nobody considers the root of the diagnosis, which is the prenatal alcohol exposure. Because again, it's systemic. People don't talk about it. Either doctors assume that a birth mom or, or that you know a mom is not drinking, or they assume that the child was not exposed. Or finally, they talk about polysubstance exposure. Yes. But they forget that we know the percentage is very high of women who have used drugs during their pregnancy have also used alcohol and alcohol is legal. So that question is not often asked. So that just is like a systemic cycle that reinforces that whole policy barrier. Um, So I'm so glad that you're bringing this up, Marche. This is so, like I said, I'm just learning so much (laughs) just from this, this question. So let's go into now because we have a lot of listeners who ask us about you know, do you know occupational therapists? Where can I find occupational therapists that will work? Because there's so many domains that OT can address um, with FASD. So can you share with us, just give us the definition of occupational therapy. And then also, what have you found in literature that OT supports the FASD population?
1: Sure. Um, That's so funny because I I feel like I need to give you my elevator speech and I haven't given an elevator speech in forever, but I'm going to give it a chance today. so um and for those who don't know uh an elevator speech um is like if natalie saw me on the elevator and she said hey Marche, what do you do if i had like ot on my shirt or something and i would have to give her the spiel the pitch in about 30 seconds um so forgive me if it goes to about 35 today (laughs) i'll have to walk off the elevator with you um (laughs) so if you were to act if someone me what occupational therapy is. I would describe occupational therapy as a health profession that helps people across the lifespan to engage in daily activities that matter to them or those activities that they want or need to do. Um, oftentimes, when we think of occupations, we think of it in terms of a job um, and, and and rightfully so because that's how society defines it. But as a profession, we define occupations as those daily activities that really occupy our time. So, um, as a licensed OT, um, I would use a client-centered approach approach rather, to help the individual engage in a meaningful um, and a purposeful uh, participation, which is vital to basically living life to its fullest potential. And that is really what occupational therapy is about, giving the client the ability to live life to its fullest uh, potential. In terms of what I have seen in the literature. So I'll say this first and foremost, there are a few occupational therapists that are doing research as it pertains to FASD. Um, However, there is a huge gap in the literature um, and and I'm hoping that I can um, help to aid and kind of close that gap a little bit more. But so far in the literature, Um, one of the two there's about two things that I'm really seeing come up quite often and one is social participation and delays in social participation and rest and sleep and I mentioned those two because these are significant parts of our lives that you know OTs can address and I think oftentimes um uh, for for maybe the individual that does not know to you know find an OT to address these areas um, this is something that you can definitely as a parent try to advocate um on behalf of your child for uh, one of the things that I will say about delays in social participation is that you know I, I think of myself over this pandemic over the last year and a half and just how much social engagement has just has been missing and how much even though I don't, I don't consider myself to be the most extroverted person. How much I, I missed that aspect of, of that human interaction. Um, unfortunately, though, um, what I'm seeing in the literature is that oftentimes children with FASD um, do have delays in social participation. Whether that's reading the social cues um, that someone may that someone may be giving someone. So, like you know, I'm standing, for instance, like oh, you can't tell that I'm upset that you're standing too close to me or something of that nature. Um, and then now I'm upset because you don't want to stand next to me and, and you know, explode, explosion from the from the emotional regulation. And really it's just the hurt. Um, and so I I look at that and, and then I also am seeing like the comorbidities that are associated with that, with the mental health aspect, um, the higher rates of suicide. So all of these things are, you know, just like FASD in a, in a sense, very much so preventable, but you have to have the services to put the right uh, strategies and treatments in place and, or interventions in place to address this, this these areas. In regards to rest and sleep, I think one of the great things about occupational therapy is that we don't just look at the client, but we also look at the caregiver, recognizing that caregiver burden is real. <laughs> um so don't feel ashamed if you know I, i'm speaking to the caregivers out there because it it happens um where you're tired you know um and I really feel like rest and sleep is so important. And, and I what I'm gonna say, I don't want you to take this to your OT if you have one, because as I mentioned, um, everything is very individualized and I trust that my colleagues have done a wonderful job evaluating you and giving you the right supports in place. Um, but there is uh, research supporting sensory diets. And so what that looks like is basically um, an outline or a tater, tailored plan that's geared towards giving you certain sensory inputs that can either, if we're talking about rest and sleep, we're gonna say calming the body down before it's time to go to bed, which ultimately allows you to, uh, hopefully allows the child to wake up having after having quality sleep and prepared for the day to engage in those occupations, but it allows the caregiver to do the same. Um, and so those are areas that I'm, I'm really finding in the literature that OTs can absolutely address. But, uh, but, of course, um, I will say, Natalie, there's, of course, other areas um, that I think are being tapped into a little bit more, um, uh, just from, like, the sensory system, emotional reg, which is linked to, like, emotional regulation uh, behaviors, but also other areas that I, I think can be addressed, um, but maybe have been slightly overlooked and you could tell me if, if I'm wrong or if you've (laughs) never heard of this, but I think like the life skills, like meal, uh, meal preparation, personal hygiene and grooming, driving and community mobility to access your environment, financial management is so many things that OTs can do.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, And, And I am shaking my head. Yes. Because as a mom of a chronolo- of a son who's chronologically 19, those life skills, we often think of OT as, you know, early, you know, with yes. early intervention or school age or later down the road, but more for preparation for finishing high school or yes. you know, finishing school.
1: The motor but skills in, those, and the fine
0: motor. Exactly, fine motor, motor, motor yes. skills, ADLs, those kind of right. things. However, we need to, especially when we're thinking about like, whole services, whole person-centered services. Yes. These OT services that you're talking about for activities of daily living, meal mm-hmm. prep, hygiene, things like that, they really need to be addressed in that like late teen, beginning yes. 20 year, because we know the developmental age is much lower than the chronological age. So they're probably not getting that at school or if they're homeschooled, maybe they're getting it, but they could be getting it more, um, or in the community, anywhere in the community. So I'm so glad that you're mentioning that because that is really something that, that can be addressed by OTs is, is either programs or making it, you know, like fun or making it just, just something that, you know, this is how we can learn to reinforce those skills.
1: Right. And I also think that OTs are the perfect profession, and this is not to say that others, other people can't do it, but we really focus on, you know, what occupies your time during that day and, and what are the things that you want or need to do? And so Creating that safe space for children and and young and adolescents and young adults to actually learn these skills. I absolutely think that OTs are equipped to do it and, and I'm, I'm hoping that as I pursue my PhD in occupational science that these are the things that I can start really targeting, especially as I move, you know, after the PhD, I want to continue this, you know, I have a career plan, so to speak. Um, And so these are the things that I really want to start targeting, because, you know, I want the research to be there so that it supports the clinicians and the program development and all those things that really just impact um, the FASD community. So yeah, it's so many things that you know, we could talk about. (laughs) You
0: are dropping so many knowledge, like bombs on me. This is just wonderful. (laughs) And so I'm so happy to say that y'all, I talked to her first. (laughs) I talked to Marche Franklin first. I can say that I knew her before she went on to do all. I'm just so, so thankful that you are on this team of fierce advocates as a professional. Again, you recognize that there is, such a need for FASD, not right. only to be supported and addressed, but just the research component too. Yeah. And I love how you made that the focus of your academic career. That's so awesome. Thank you. So with that in mind, let's talk about where you're focusing your work now.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, initially, um, as I came in as a resident, and after deciding, okay, it's FASD, prenatal alcohol exposures, what I'm, I'm focusing on here, um, I was actually supposed to fly to Cape Town, South Africa with my mentor, Dr. Stephanie Bodison, um, to work out there because the prevalence is, is extremely high in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, but the pandemic hit, things had to change, you know, you, you have to figure out a new plan. And and I'm so lucky to have Dr. Bodison in my corner and to be able to collaborate with her as like having her as my mentor, because she was able to help me shift to say, you know what, okay, we can't do this, but you can still address the FASD, um, population. And so we came up with the idea of doing a scoping review and just to try to get the literature out there to start trying to close some of the gaps and basically the aims of the scoping review right now that we're working on is to better understand the global occupational barriers that are impacting the FASD community. And so that's really what I have been um, working on lately. And just like I said, hoping to close some of those gaps. And some of the things that I mentioned um, previously as it relates to social participation and rest and sleep are some of the findings that I I'm, I'm gathering for the manuscript that I'm preparing. And hopefully it will be one that's publishable. We're trying to refine it now um, so that it can be, you know, disseminated to all who are, who are in need or looking for it.
0: That's amazing. So not only are you focusing on the the clinical client aspect, but you are looking at the broad picture. You are looking at policy, global policy, national yes. policy. I love that.
1: Yes, I, I'm trying to, I, you know, things shift. And and where it was supposed to be, the the global was supposed to be in South Africa. And I said, Well, you know what? Sometimes things happen and you don't mm-hmm. know why they happen, mm-hmm. but this allowed me to now focus on the United States, it allowed me to look at, you know, um, the uh, Australia, there's so many different areas that I'm picking up in the literature, and just trying to better understand um, those barriers that are the occupational barriers. And so yeah, it's, it's been a a journey, a a journey that I'm happy to be on, though, for sure.
0: That is fantastic. Oh, and again, I I just keep saying, I'm so glad you're on our team. (laughs) I'm so glad you are on our team. Well, I'm so so happy to be here. (laughs) So we have parents, listening caregivers, support staff, clinicians, professionals. We have a variety of listeners on FASD Hope. If people want to get in touch with you, whether they think they have something that they could possibly connect with you, or they just want to learn more about what you're doing, what is the best way people can reach you?
1: Oh, you know it is Marche the OT. I am just starting out on that social media journey. Yay! Of, Yay! So I, I'll have to follow you. I have no followers yet. So who, whoever wants to follow me, I'll, I'll definitely be following everybody back. Okay. Um, by the time this
0: podcast is released, she will have followers. I can tell you that much. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it's Marche the OT. That's M A R S H A E T H E O T, and that's on um, Instagram and Twitter. And then as far as Facebook, I do not have the name or shade, the OT, but I have my name. And so, um, you can probably just, uh, search for my name in the search bar. Um, but I'm also, um, um, a member of like the different groups. So FASD community yes. groups. So, and you can find me in like in the no Fast group and other places like that. I'm I'm around.
0: <laughs> and I will put those links in today's episode notes in, in yes. our episode notes so that people can um, get in touch with you directly if they have, you know, information and they want to learn more. Absolutely. Um,
1: so my email as well too, because I do have an email and I'll, I'll pass that along.
0: That sounds great. That sounds great. Marche, this has been awesome talking with you. And you. I am
1: just so impressed
0: with the impact that your research and that your work is making and will make on the FASD community. And not just the FASD community, but the OT community, just the community in general. I mean, you are addressing huge, huge barriers. You're addressing huge policy Gaps. You're you're addressing things that we as parents and caregivers have been saying. Yes, yes, this this is happening. You're you're saying it's right here on paper, folks. You know, it's right here on 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 the laptop. So I love it. And okay, everybody. I say this a lot, but Marche will be back on our show. I would love to. (laughs) We. I love talking with her. I love the energy that she's bringing. And for all you wearied caregivers, parents, anyone listening. Marche is like a breath of fresh air. Just talking with her, so she's gonna be back. So just just to awesome. let y'all know, and and we will have a a, a follow up for this conversation. So yes. Marche, you know, in our title, our FASD hope, we talk about. We like to end on hope. We're, we we yes. had this wonderful informational educational discussion. I like to end on hope because that's often what many of us have to cling to, to get us through those very difficult, you know, moments. What words of hope as an OTD and as a clinician, as a researcher, what words of hope can you share with our listeners about FASD, what you've learned and OT and just how, how things can look better?
1: you know what i think if you're okay natalie i'm gonna i'm going to um all those things that you named all those those new titles that i'm i've been acclimated to i'm so used to just being Marché, um (laughs) but i'm going to combine all of those with my with just my being just being Marché. and if i was to give a hope takeaway message it's something that has been sticking with me um throughout the past these past years of my life and and it's actually a part of the culminating, uh, the title of my culminating um, project for my OTD program. And I want to share it because it's, it's this, it's experiencing a delay. You're experiencing a delay, but you're not experiencing a denial. Oh, I and, love that. and I say that because in life, a lot of times we are tested and we are, um, are, we're battling different challenges, and and I don't know what's going on in anybody's personal life. You know, it, a lot of times we, we hide behind a smile, so to speak. Um, but personally, every time I felt rejected or denied, my mind told me that I, you know I'm, you're not good enough. But I had to learn how to really change that mindset and take it from the negative to the positive, and tell myself, no, you are good enough. Every place that you've been in life, you were supposed to go there at the time that you went. And so instead of looking at it as a denial or as a rejection, look at it as a, as a direction, a place that you're going. And I speak to that, especially I think this is important for the FASD community is because I think that for so long, so many parents, advocates, caregivers, um, you know, allies like myself who have just come on board recently and, and researchers, um, there's so many great things to look forward to. And we have to just change our mindset to realize that once it comes, it's at the right time. And it was, it was at the time that you were supposed to get it. And so, yes, that's what I was, would say. You are experiencing a, a delay, but you have not been denied. So, Yeah.
0: I love that. And y'all, for everyone who's listening, I thought Marche and I were just gonna talk about activities of daily living or sensory processing. I didn't think this would be a mind blowing discussion about global policy <laughs> and you know change and oh my goodness. So I can tell you that I have had a mind shift Personally, talking with Marche, and I am so happy to know her and I'm so happy to introduce her to everyone because she is going to be a force in our community. And I am just so thankful that I had this opportunity to share what you're doing and, and to share the difference you want to make. So I love that. Marche Franklin, thank <laughs> you for being on FASD Hope.
1: Thank you so much,
0: Natalie. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Beckione. If you like our show and want more information, check out fasdhope.com, or please leave us a five-star rating and review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week, and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.